0: Welcome to another powerful message from One Life OK. We really hope you enjoy it.
1: I want to talk today, I think, about authority, but let me give you a couple snippets. I have a lot. I woke up yesterday. The first scripture I read after I wrote that song was 1 Corinthians 2.9. You can turn there if you want. I'm going to read it in the Amplified. And it says, things which the eye has not seen. And the ear has not heard and which have not entered into the heart of man. All that God has prepared for those who love him, who hold him in affectionate reverence, who obey him and who gratefully recognize the benefits that he gives so. I believe that this is a season for some in this room. I wanted to restate the word that Cece gave the other day about redacted lines. And interesting, the day after she gave that word, you know, remember that a prophetic word is the heart of God. And with a prophetic word comes, I would call it just this extra special anointing of love. And it's called a kairos moment. It's called a moment in time that everything aligned just perfectly. And there's, um, there actually is an ease. When you step into it, the promise never ends, but the ease in which you attain it or acquire it or are trained by it, it changes by our levels of obedience and participation. And so when she released that word, think about it for a minute, that she was talking about that the enemy had come, remember, and basically blotted out with redacted lines of black things that were about God. And, and we could all agree with that. But the very next day, I saw this little clip about there was this lawyer and he was about to take this case. And in the case, um, they, they were doing this thing called discovery. Do you know what discovery is in a, in a lawsuit? It means that both sides basically have to share what they've discovered, But one of the tricks of lawyering is that sometimes they'll bury it in the middle of a whole bunch of other things that have nothing to do with the case whatsoever. So then, but they've done their job, they've given you the discovery. They have, but what's interesting in this case I was watching, there were probably 75 file boxes of information, and when they opened the box and pulled out the first sheet, it was all redacted. There's just one little dot or one little line, and the lawyer made this statement to his assistants. He said, read every page in these 75 boxes, and if there's anything in there you think might be the discovery we're looking for, we will have to go to the court per page and ask for that redaction to be removed so we can see the whole page. That's how our lawyer system works. And so right then the Holy Spirit said to me that would, would I be willing to look for the promises of God that hard? That what has happened is is that the enemy has brought you his 75 boxes of information. And the promises of God are all redacted. And all you can see is your mess. All you can see is where you don't measure up. All you can see is what your family, whatever your thing is. But he says that the enemy has to expose that he's been lying. Because guess what? If you stuck the promises of God and the lies of the enemy side by side, the lies fall. Because the lies are a counterfeit of the promise. That's how the enemy even knows to say it. And so I propose to you, eye has not seen, ears not heard, what God has in store for you who love him. And just because you've got 75 boxes of crap, you just look at that and think it's a bunch of redacted lines, a bunch of promises you missed, a bunch of promises that you turned left and you should have went right, and someone reminds you of it every day, maybe it's your spouse, then that's not God. You know, a lot of times whenever we hear a prophetic word, it sounds powerful, but we don't really know how to implement it. And I'm trying to help you today part of the process when we hear that word is we, you have to stick your face into it. What's that movie where they stuck their face in and they, there was one reality on this side? I just told it to you all about four years ago. Anyway, <laughs> it's like this, you know. Now, the Holy Spirit was talking to me about how good he is at knowing what goes together. You know, when I first met Cece, we went to Hall's Pizza. Do you know where Hall's Pizza, look. Now stop, I'm hungry. I'm hungry right now. Does anybody know where Hall's Pizza is? Anybody? And me and me and pizza, me and pizza, me and pizza like Bailey the same. That's right. Me and pizza like Bailey the same. Bailey and I are huge pizza fans, and I have a new pizza girl at home. Did I tell you all about my uni? Oh. Anyway, um, see, I'm hungry. And so he was talking to me about that, and he reminded me of this story that uh, when we went to this Hall's Pizza for the first time, um, we were trying to decide what kind of pizza. Now, Cece likes weird – she's not picky – and so she likes stuff like figs on pizza. And I'm like, no, we don't need figs on pizza. That's not pizza. That, that makes me want to throw up my throat a little bit. And then she'll like like feta on pizza. And I don't want feta. I don't want, no, I don't want that feta on the sea. And so all these things. And so then we, you know, Halls is one of those places where you go kind of like Upper Crest, our favorite place. And there's Big Newtons on there or whatever they want to put on there. I mean, it doesn't even matter. They got pig on there. They got all kinds of stuff on there, right? Because they're a gourmet, right, type. And this is what Cece said. I said, well, let's get this, but let's don't put this on there, and let's don't put that on there, and let's don't put that on there. And she said, well, why would we take all that off? Because they know what goes together. And so that, that the Holy Spirit reminded me of that story today. And he was wanting to talk about how good he is at putting stuff together and how good he is because he knows what goes together. And so that's that's you. He knows so much more about how he designed you. I mean, he takes great delight in how he created you. I think I have, let me see if I have a fun little verse for that. It is, Isaiah 64. It is a fun little verse. It's called, uh, Isaiah 64, verse 8 in the Passion. Listen to this verse. Yahweh, you are our Father. We agree there, right? We are like clay, and you are our potter. Each one of us is the creative, artistic work of your hands. So let's set the stage for today with just that thought that the Holy Spirit is very creative. He likes figs on pizza (laughs) and he likes the way, you know, I'm kind of, I want to set us up a little bit for tomorrow night as we go in to talk about personalities too, because there is a designer and when a designer is involved in anything, they are the one with the vision. They're the vision for the outcome of the design. Yeah. You know, we obviously, I get to experience this a lot in a lot of ways. I I was really young when I realized I was a creative. That's what we call it nowadays. Back then, we didn't know what it was. But one of the things I'm a, I'm a real creative in is I like to cook, so... I probably, if, I, if, I, if it had been another lifetime, I would have been a chef. And so what happens, though, is that I don't need a recipe because I have a tongue. That's my version, is that why do I need to go by what somebody else said because I know what tastes good. And I like to think about what could I put together that I've never ate together before that I would like. So I usually don't use figs. Although yesterday, I'll have you know, I made a fancy piece of toast for Cece and I's lunch, and I put a fig on it. So, you know, see, figs are not completely out, but it was with that cashew butter. So, you know, that made it all delicious. There are just certain things that go together. And I propose to you that your design works with your assignment the same way. That's why you can live outside of your design and you can make stuff. I mean, we're amazing people. That's the crazy part about humanity is that we actually can do a whole lot without God. We can do so much without God that we can convince ourselves that he's not alive, that he doesn't exist, and that somehow I got this breath from somebody else. That's how amazing we are. We can do so many things. We can alter the course of history by inserting our own viewpoint of what God actually designed and made, and eventually we'll forget that God didn't make it that way. That's what's going on right now in society. It is a counterfeit of what God's actually doing. God is actually revealing identities that have never been known on the planet. Right now, the enemy is counterfeiting it and acting like everyone's lost their identity. But actually in my world, in the world of the supernatural, something else entirely is going on. That's why I don't have to be nervous about what's going on in the world because I actually have authority over it. And everything that the world is doing that looks crazy is just a demon. I don't have to assign it some other value. It since the Holy Spirit knows what goes together, Then he puts people and things together to fulfill a design and a purpose because he likes pizza. I'm sure of it. (laughs) And when I cook, I have a sous chef. You know what a sous chef is? A sous chef is not the head cook. A sous chef just does all the junk. (laughs) And the chef just points around. So Tracy, is she she in here? No. So Tracy is my shoe chef, right? And so this is what I'll do. I'll make a list, and I'll say, go to the store. Now, Tracy, I think, when her and Lenny cook, they like to cook by a recipe. So if I'm not careful, Tracy will kind of fall into that black and white category, and so then we won't get all the right stuff. But see, it doesn't matter if we don't have the right stuff. So the other day, she... We were going to make this fancy four cabbage salad. And so she goes, and I said, Now get Napa cabbage and get this cabbage, get these four kinds of cabbage. Well, she shows up with something, and I'm like, oh, I don't think that's Napa cabbage. Yeah, it's the the label said it was Napa cabbage. This is my trace. She doesn't know what Napa cabbage looks like. So she went by the label because she's black and white. The label said Napa cabbage. Well, We cut that little cabbage up, and I was like, "Mm, "Now, see, I've had napa cabbage. Isn't it? This isn't it." And so we didn't put it in there. So then, just yesterday, yesterday, she sent me a picture of napa cabbage at another store, and she said, "This is napa cabbage." And see, that's that. She's a sous chef. Even though we bought some hunk of something that I didn't know what it was, I tasted it and I said, this is not Napa cabbage. Therefore, it doesn't make the four cabbage salad. Listen, we are the Holy Spirit's sous chef. We're not the head chef. So when I bring my weasley old smallness in, right, and I say, someone labeled me, Napa cabbage. The Holy Spirit's like, "Mm." no, you don't fit (laughs) in that recipe. (laughs) Now see, what I love about Tracy is that was hilarious to us. She's not offended. She'll go back tomorrow and buy something wrong again tomorrow. It won't matter (laughs) because she's the sous chef. No one at the end of the day is going to call Tracy up and say, While you were making the wrong thing, I didn't like it. No one cares. They're going to say, Teresa, I always ask everybody, do you want to have this again? Can I tell you, I don't even think anyone's ever said, no, we don't want to have it again. Why? Because I know what goes together. See, that's the Holy Spirit. He knows how he made you. He's needing a sous chef, though. He loves to have a co-laborer. you were designed to be a sous chef to the master chef the holy spirit you're designed for him to say let's get this item let's change this thing let's add this ingredient now let's take that out we don't need that in this recipe and we're meant to what absolutely i'm thrilled to be part of the process of making beautiful things for the entire planet and see, as I begin to cooperate with him, I wrote this today. Anything we operate in without him, even if it looks good, it won't be anointed. See, and that's why today he might say, jump three feet high. Yeah. And tomorrow he might say, roll around on the ground. Yeah. See, it's the yielding to the chef. This week, I might make some sort of thing that sounds like P.F. Chang's. We made a special three-course three, three course meal of Asian food the other night, and so we put some stuff in there we liked. We put some stuff in there we didn't like. They probably don't even know what I didn't like. Next time, I logged in and said, we're not going to have that in it. That's the Holy Spirit. <coughs> Sorry. As he mixes us together, yeah. then it's easy. Sorry. <coughs> For him to see that doesn't fit in with what his objective was, he, he don't kick us out of the kitchen forever. I don't know what we're gonna do with that thing Tracy bought, but I didn't say okay, well that's it. It's the last time you get to go help. You get to help me. That's not. It doesn't work that way. And see, that happens in the spirit a lot, where we try something. See, here's here's what I like to propose. God tells us what we should expect to do as humans. On a supernatural level, he says, you should cast out devils. You should heal the sick. You should raise the dead. It's just a thing. You should do it. Because what? Why? I give you all authority. I was listening to Robert Morris, and he said this. God gave the same authority to baby Christians that he did to the apostles. Did you hear me? God gave the same, what was the qualifier to get the authority? Accepting Jesus. The qualifier of established authority through the kingdom is knowing Jesus. It doesn't matter if you're a two-week-old Christian or if you're a 20-year-old Christian, but I propose to you our ability to wield it. You know, he told this cool story about how that um. Let me just say, let me pre-whatever. Pre I think that this is a season that God is raising up deliverance on a large scale. But see, here's the cool part about deliverance. It all is about how you know your authority. That's all it's about. He was telling this story that they were in a service somewhere and some woman was... Um, demon possessed and so she was manifesting we like that word around here have you ever been around someone manifesting yeah and so he was talking about how they called him and listen don't be nervous because god's trying to establish authority in you right now okay so i'm giving you a story Anyway, they called him from, the, um, from in the sanctuary. and They said, come in here. This woman's manifesting. And he said, as he was walking down the hall, pride just got in his heart. And he said, yeah, they're having to call the spiritual one. Can't have pride and authority. Where does authority come from? Humility. And so he said, he walked in the room. And there is two huge guys on either side of this little woman and he said when he walked in the room the lady threw the two men off of her like like he threw throw them up against the wall and he said they just slid down and it turned to him and said i've been waiting for you and he said pride left right then in that moment uh huh Come on. Come on. I'm talking about authority right now. He said, so over in the corner was a little bitty old woman, 80-something years old, 90 pounds. And she said she stood up from the corner, and she said, stop. She walked over. It's not by might. It's not by power. And she set the lady free in that moment. Her authority, it didn't matter that he was the assistant pastor. It didn't matter, matter his title. didn't matter that he had been going to church there for 20, 30 years. All that the demon could see was who carried the authority. And see, this should be... Um, since God is saying what he's going to do, he's just looking for a sous chef. He's looking for someone who's not afraid of that, who wants to wield the proper authority. Why? Because it's the woman. That's what he said. After she delivered her, she walked up to her and just stuck her hand on her face and said, you're free. That's why. We want to be a sous chef yes. because we want to free people. Yes. See, and here's the interesting thing is that there's there's people in here that, I mean, especially evangelistic people, they're really brave. But, I mean, you can talk to Pam. Bravery's not enough. Right. They're really bold. They'll talk to anybody about anything. But boldness isn't enough. It's really about, you know, I I after I preached on Wednesday, I went home and I found this really cool scripture. It says Hold on. See I lost it already. One second. It's in First John two twenty seven, it says, "This is in the passion that wonderful anointing you receive from God is so much greater than their deception." Wow! Yeah. And it now lives in you. His anointing says, "There's no need for anyone to teach, keep teaching you." His anointing teaches you all that you need to know for it will lead you into truth, not a counterfeit. So just as the anointing has taught you remain in him. Now it's interesting because in the passion he talks about that this anointing is something that's poured out onto us. I've been listing some ways to position your heart to carry his anointing. I don't know if you've known that. I I think I'm on number six or seven. And that anointing, he says, it brings us into these five things. Think about it. It brings us into life. Now, whether we know it or not, when we don't know God, we are actually living inside of death. We're actually a breathing entity on earth, but outside the realm of the supernatural, we're actually living inside the realm of death. Because everything about us is meant to animate the Holy Spirit, who the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, will awaken or make alive even your physical body. That's what it says. Quicken your mortal body. That's the King James Version. It'll it'll make it come alive. It'll quicken. It'll make it rise up. That same spirit, that pneuma of God, that power of God, that, that is what anoints us. And so it brings life, it brings illumination, it brings wisdom, it brings fruit, and it brings power. Why wouldn't we want that? I propose that every... I think I wrote this down too. The things of the Spirit that we need to fulfill our assignment can't be purchased with money, time, or intellect. They are a free gift obta- gift obtained through surrender. Yeah. The things that you need to fulfill your assignment. So see, that's the promises of God. The promises of God are your assignment. Wow. Think about Abraham, yeah. I'll make you great. right? If you, there's always a promise, And there's always something of the world we have to leave. We don't get to hold on to the things of the world and obtain the promises of God at the same time because they have a different objective. They have a different God. They have a different form of worship. And so that's why if we don't understand that our nature has to be regenerated, it has to be restored, it has to be renewed into the thought that my mind thinks of the impossible as the possibility. So I'm looking for impossible so I can breathe my sous-chefness on it. So I can breathe the anointed of God. So think about what else would we need? Would we would the, would it, it would make things come to life? It would illuminate where darkness is. See the the cool thing about the spirit is if he didn't have a container, it would just be wind. See what makes the difference is that you, by accepting Jesus, become the container. Of the breath, the pneuma, that's the wind of God, the fire of God. It's the animation of your passion. Yeah. Yeah. He didn't make us living dead corpses. He made us to come alive to displace something. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Are you in agreement? Yeah. The anointing, I said it on Wednesday, it furnishes me with the power the necessary power for administration of what, whatever his assignment is, the day, today. See, I don't. I I believe I don't even have to know my ultimate assignment. When I get to heaven, I'm going to look down on my life, and I'm, I'm sort of there now where I can see. Oh, that's why I did that, and that's why He led me there, and that's why I went over there. Those tools, I just kept accumulating tools to utilize in my purpose. Have you gotten there yet, or are you still just stumped by why you're doing what you're doing? But I may not know my ultimate thing. You may not know your ultimate thing, but you can know the next thing. And see, if you put enough next things together, you'll stumble into your thing. See, we we're weird as humans. We wanna know the whole thing. And then we judge the next things according to whether we think it fits with the thing. He didn't really that's not what a sous shift does. I can tell you when Tracy comes, she don't know if we're cutting up maters or cabbage or meat. Or whatever. I'm just like get that, put that in a bowl. Get that bowl. Get that size bowl. Oftentimes, I'm like get a bowl about this big, and she puts something in it this big. She'll be like, why, why such a big bowl? Because it's not the only thing going in it. Aren't we like that? We just, we just like we're fixing to make something. I mean, I have to cook for at least eight people, sometimes more. So that's not just, you know, it's one chicken breast or something. I mean, where can you put 20 tenders? (laughs) 20 chicken tenders, they don't fit in a pan. So that's a whole nother thing. And I got my people who like tomatoes and who don't. I got my people who like mushrooms and don't. So everything's got a double. I think we could, I've got Sidwell over a little bit to the mushroom world. Lynn, look at her. Look, she is, look, she is, look at her. No room for that even. And see, when the Holy Spirit says, get a big bowl, what do we say? Oh, I don't think we need that. This little tiny bowl will do. See, then I've just stepped in thinking the, de- the head chef's dead. He's not dead. He's never going to die. I'm always going to be in this role. See, when the goal becomes, I want to produce something with the Holy Spirit. Do you understand? I'm going to be talking about gifts maybe one at that time this year, but our <laughs> gifts, our gifts are meant to be operated in a community. Yes. Can I help you? Yes. The gifts of the Spirit won't work on independent island. Yes. Yes. So all those times I'm saying, hey, let me know your schedule. What are you doing with your time? And you're like, I don't want to tell you what I'm doing with my time. I get to do whatever I want with my time. When I say, hey, you probably shouldn't be saying that. that." I can say anything to anybody that I want to say anytime I want to say it. We're going to have a conversation. Because that's, no, the Holy Spirit didn't say you could do that. And so if I'm going, I love what Chris Valtin said. Here's a great place to put this. The Prince of Peace is not concerned with pleasing people. Instead, he is concerned with making peace, not a peacekeeper. He's a peacemaker. Sometimes that means offending the crowd to ensure that the Father is pleased. See, that's a big hurdle for people pleasers. We're going to be talking about that tomorrow night. Who's the people pleasers and who aren't? That's... If you want to be a sous chef, you're not a people pleaser. The Holy Spirit cares not about what humanistic viewpoints mean or think or assign or create. He knows what he wants. He knows why you're here. He knows what he created, and he knows what's possible. And see, when I partner with him, my physical man is, is redeemed. It's restored. When, when if you're having lots of physical issues, it's because you're outside His design. You can ask Breezy. I mean, when I first met her, it was like emergency room all the time. How many thousands of dollars in debt were you? Fifty thousand dollars in debt through medical bills. And and really not anything. It had, I mean, there wasn't anything to show for that. Have you ever got your credit card bill and you're like, "Why? Well, How did that? What did I?" <laughs> So many Starbucks, it was that way. It just added up over time. Why? Because every time a demon came by, yeah. Yeah, that's it. we went to the emergency room. Then she realized, oh my gosh, that demon was the Holy Spirit. <laughs> some of you are not there yet. But that thing that I was assigned to some fear in my life, and I was going to the emergency room, and they would say, we can't find anything wrong with you. Was the Holy Spirit prompting me to intercede? Now she knows she's an intercessor. Now she's raising sons that are intercessors. You don't do the same thing as an intercessor as you do as a fearful mother. Right. 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 Okay. You know, my little spiritual children, when they came to Desirim and they had hurt themselves, I remember Shooty, she dropped something on her toe and cut it a peanut butter, a whole jar of peanut butter. And I was like, she was like, we need to go to the doctor, so we're not going to the doctor. She did not like me that day. Because her mommy would have taken her to the doctor. I said, I'm not your mommy. I'm your equipper. And you're going to have to walk with a limp if necessary. Why? Because she wasn't tough. She wasn't going to be able to get up there and do this and get bombarded and, and bring you into breakthrough if she was worried about peanut butter on her toe. Makes sense now, right? Which is more important? Uh-huh. Now, don't you black and white people don't even be thinking right now. I already feel, it. and all you feel, you black, well, what if? You know, well, what about? Well, what? A... She knows what I'm talking about. Go ask her if you don't know what. Because why? The holy, we are, we are wimpies. We're orphans. We don't know the fridge is full of pop. Right? So the point of of that is that the father is my papa, your dad, your heavenly father. He sees the earth in the fullness of it. You're part of this amazing design that you're the amazing goodness, the fullness of God. That's why it's so silly to be focused on sin. All have sinned. That should have been a clue for us. Okay, everybody did it. But here's the grace. Here's the mercy. Here's the power. Here's the covering. Here's the way that you should live. Here it is. All have sinned. See, now, at any point in the day, I can be skipping along, doing good, and the enemy will remind me of my sin. I've sinned. You've sinned. All, remember? All. Say all. All. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm sorry to tell you this, but you sinned. It ain't a thing. Let's take the scare tactic out. See, that, yeah. the accuser of the brethren and sisterin. <laughs> he's the one reminding you. And see, you know what I do? I just say, let me, re- let me remind you of Jesus. Me yeah. too. Who defeated yeah. you through a crazy act of love that only God can understand. It doesn't even make any sense, does it? Okay, let me think now. One man dies a naked death on a cross and all my sin is put on him and he rose him from the dead so I could have that same power from the Holy Spirit to live in me. What a crazy plan. But when the enemy reminds me that you sin, I said, but let me tell you something. You're destroyed. Yes! It's no match. And so why would I put one thought, two thoughts, four thoughts, four years, ten years on something from someone who's a loser who already lost? His opinion is irrelevant. I just have to come into the awareness that it's irrelevant. And as long as he can use it on me, he will worm his way into my gifts. And he will make me use my talent for worship in the world. He will strip me of that anointing and say, come, I'll make you famous. You'll be so cool. You'll be on YouTube. You'll be a YouTuber. And I'll make you great. But just like Pam said, when your hands are dead, you know it. When it just ain't working, you know it. When it's a false sense of identity and has nothing to do with your assignment, you know it. It's a temporary gain for eternal loss. in this series this is the things that we need to remember you know god's destiny for you his desire for you is to anoint you that's the father's heart bottom line to anoint you to display the supernatural in any way any time with any person on the planet anywhere any day that has nothing to do with this Little service. Everybody can display it in here. Why? Because you're activated. Why? Because there's a whole bunch of people who are leaning in that creates an activation that creates. While I'm talking, you hear things about yourself you've never heard before. While I'm talking, the Holy Spirit goes in and says, hey, that was me right there. Hey, hey, you could change that right there. That's what he does. He's illuminating. He's not the condemner. He's the convictor. Why is he convicting? He's saying, hey, that's going to hold you back. That is going to hold you back. This is going to set you free. And so we talked about the testimony of the Trinity, remember? You've got to go back and revisit these because when we begin to talk about the actual anointing in our gifts, this heart alignment is required. I have to remember that I may have a great testimony. You know what my testimony is? I've never walked away from God, I never rebelled. I never did. I never did have that prodigal period. I just never did. I've always loved Him, I haven't always been free. I haven't always been anointed, but I always wanted to be. And so that gives me a license to say, that's not anointing. I know you may want it to be, babe, but that ain't it. That was a hard conversation to have with Aubrey. She was on stage. She was a YouTuber. She was on stage. People were clamoring for her to come. Even now. And I had to say, that ain't it, babe. If you ain't a mom and you ain't a wife, you can't be anointed. If you don't get that down first, you can't walk in anointing. Can't leave your babies behind to train themselves. They can't parent themselves. You're the mom. You're anointed to be the mom. Now what's happening? Aubrey can do anything. She's one of those people, she can make a pretty toenail. I mean, she can do anything. You know those people that are just kind of like talent hogs and you're, going, you're a little bit jealous, really. Honestly, you are. But see, you wouldn't have been jealous of the war when she was outside of her anointing. See, that's how I knew. She was in torment and, be, and was on the stage Sunday morning. She was in utter fear, teaching her sons to fear, but was, was on stage on Sunday. That's how I knew. Those don't go together. And now what's God doing? She spent years hearing a whole bunch of no's from some spiritual moms. We've had, she's an extrovert. We've had an extrovert to extrovert conversation <laughs> many times. But the reality was God was bringing her into the fullness of something that was her assignment. So when the day came, I can tell you she feels unqualified, but she knows the Holy Spirit's a qualifier. He knows all things. When he shot her in the gut with his Holy Spirit, I got that cannonball cream. It's a joke between us. (laughs) Only them two know what I'm talking about. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? Then what did she say? Yes. She said yes. And guess what? When she came and she said to me, I think this is the Holy Spirit. She'd gotten a lot of no's over the years. I said yes. That's him. And then she invited Vinton. And Vinton all of a sudden said had to be a dad. I thought it was some other way. And he gets to teach the Bible and photography and all those things that he thought he had to lay down. No, they were just in the waiting. Why? Because the curtain hadn't opened yet on that set of the stage. See, that's that's how the Holy Spirit works. If you just keep yielding. See, because the testimony of the Trinity is more important than your testimony. Uh, Eye hasn't seen, ear hasn't heard. What's in store? Where is my faith? Where are you going to put your faith? We talked about that faith is required. We talked about some practical tips to increase your faith. Why does God need to increase us? Because we would live so small. We would live scared to death. I remember that season when Pam and I didn't have any food or money. But we went to church. We kept going to church. And I would, I would search everywhere I could before we went to church. And I would find any coins that we had left. And I'd give everything I had every time we went. We had one single thing in the cupboard. I remember I would stand in front of the cupboard and I would say, the cabinets, it's an old-fashioned word, and I'd say, one day, we were going to have plenty of food. I'm living in that day. I am living in a day that in 2005, I wasn't living in. In 2005, I had zero Why? I was living outside my design. When I came back, when Pam and I came back, we met Lynn. Everything changed that day. That was my birthday, 2007. I met her on my birthday weekend, 2007, and everything changed. Why? Because our anointings meshed together. She sent me a text. She didn't even know me. She said, God told me I'm supposed to be your Elijah uh, Elijah and you're my Elijah. And I was like, I'm no Elijah. But to her, I was. And then Bailey and I chased each other around the parking lot the next weekend. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That's my favorite story of all time. We talked about the relational aspect of God, letting God be God, and how good He is at being Himself. That that's the ultimate goal of your life, is to let God be Himself through you. We talked about that He's the molder, I'm the clay. I have to come into agreement with His molding of me. We talked about the affections of our heart, where we place those. You become what you behold. YouTube in? Obedience is required for anointing. I talked about that last week. And then Wednesday, I talked about the finger of God and how he writes on the insides of our hearts. And so I wanted to end today because Cece has a really cool thing she wants to say. She had had this amazing time with him yesterday. But I wanted to just read this one scripture over us. It's in 1 John 2. It says in verse 3, here's how we can be sure that we've truly come to know God. You know, knowing God is different than knowing about Him. This kind of knowing is is an intimacy. And it says, if we keep His commands... This is God's commands. Keeping God's commands are the proof and evidence that I've come to know God. If someone says, I've come to know God by experience, yet doesn't keep his commands, he's a phony. And the truth finds no place in him. But the love of God will be perfected within the one who obeys God's word. See, you have to remember that God is the author, not only of you, but the author of your faith. He's the perfecter of it. My part is working out my own salvation with fear and trembling with Him. That means salvation is ever unfolding. That means I'm coming into a knowledge of why I needed to be saved. When I was little, we were just saved from hell. That was irrelevant. I was saved into a kingdom, into a way of living, into something different than just something that I was avoiding. He says, but we can be sure that we've truly come to live in intimacy with God, not by saying I'm intimate with God, but by walking in the footsteps of Jesus. Now, one of the greatest things you can always remember of about God is he would never propose something for us to do that he didn't empower us to do it. Every single thing in the word that he said, walk in the footsteps of Jesus, do this, exercise your faith this way, he empowered you to do it. When I begin to say, if you said it, I may not be good at it. I may not even know how to do it, but if you said it, if you said I have all authority, if you said I can do the things and the works of Jesus and better things than Jesus did, if you said it, I want to learn how to do it. And I propose the thing that's in the way of us knowing and accepting and doing it is what we think. We either think, well, that's for somebody else. See, I was raised in that. Yeah. It was the holy man that got to do all the good stuff. <laughs> that was passed down from the Catholic religion, which was passed down from something else. It goes back forever. Yeah. The holy man is the holy man, and he's the thing. And what does that make you? It makes you the spectator. Right. An enemy loves for you to spectate your life. Wow. Yeah. But God calls you a steward. God calls you a manager. And see, the more that you manage with Him, the more He'll give you to manage. It was easy to manage a cabinet that had nothing in it. Anything someone threw down from upstairs, we just ate it like a ravaged dog. We lived in the basement with some people. It's a long story. But now I'm selective. I'm in a different place now. I have to steward it by what I want the outcome to be. Come on.
0: Thank you, Tisa. What a good message. Wow. I thank you for the recap, too, of what you've touched on on this topic It's been so good. You know, one of the things that I've loved about the redacted concept than when Tisa was telling me about the, like, just imagine that on those legal files, is that the truth was already there. It was just covered up, you know. That just feels different to me than when we just don't know something. You know, we're like, well, I don't know if God promised that or not. I don't know. And then you're living without knowing if it's something you can count on or not. But the redacted message is saying, Oh, no, it's there. I've already said it. I've already declared it. It's written in my word. There are people all over the world professing it. It's just been redacted over on your heart. And so it's already there. That was really powerful to me. And so um, I wanted to share this with you because it was my kind of my personal experience um, of living this out. Um, like she said when we shared the redacted word then of course that's an opportunity and invitation for us to find how that applies to us and I love the Holy Spirit because if you just follow his ways you don't even realize that you're doing it like it's not like I sat down and said today's the day I find out what's redacted <laughs> you know <laughs> I'm just open you're just open to it when you're prompted and and you follow his leading so um so I had a personal experience where he began to show me that some things that he had told me before and some things I knew about him had been redacted in my own heart and my own mind and that had was behind a lot of hopelessness and discouragement. And so I had been feeling a lot of discouragement and hopelessness and I'd kind of decide kind of was in my mind thinking, well this is just how it's going to be, you know. There's different seasons of life and this season's just going to be this way, you know. And it was a hopeless mentality and um I believe we've said before that anywhere there's hopelessness or discouragement you're under the influence of a lie yeah. so that's the redaction right yeah. so um I had um, an opportunity to pursue some different perspectives and healing in different ways and new ways of thinking and and this this new door opened up for me and I was so grateful and even though everything's not totally resolved by any means. It was just I, I felt, I experienced this opening of hope coming back in. And um, so I sat down with him yesterday and I just began to be overwhelmed with his fathering. Like wow, you're right, I was I can be so convinced of being hopeless and you can just come in and you're like, yeah, I've already pre-provided for all of that. and just in a moment, I can provide hope again. Yeah. And so I began to write, and then he began to unveil some things and changes and perspectives that he wanted to speak, and it led to this great encouraging word. And I want I want to share it with you. It's in a few stages, so I'm just going to jump in and start reading what I wrote to him. And I like to read just kind of how it flowed for me, so that you can see yourself in it and see this is just a real life process, you know. So I started writing, Papa, sweet sweet Papa, I love you so. Papa, I feel a new hope filling my lungs, and I'm so relieved, so hopeful. You are the greatest, so faithful and nurturing. You tend to our every need. Even when I'm practically, practically convinced that I've reached a new normal that I have to settle for, you come with breakthrough. You open my eyes and open my heart to receive a fresh wind from you. You connect me with those you've already surrounded me with and bring words of life through them. I'm astonished to realize that they've been there all along, too. I'm amazed at your faithfulness and overwhelmed with gratitude when I realize all you have pre-provided for me. You are the diligent, faithful overseer of my heart. I know that I am being resurrected from that old, independent, self-reliant mindset over and over again. You just keep proving to me the truth, the depth of how much I truly am under under your covering and care. It has been so hard to even imagine what this kind of fathering looks like. The concepts that were framed for me of being raised for the purpose of independence and self-sufficiency are just so ingrained in me. Just when I think I've received the full extent of your fathering, you invite me to receive even more from you. I realize I have this mindset that I receive from you so that I can go and do. As if it's the purpose of receiving I see that I still have this operating in me because right here in this moment, I remember a few years ago when he's told me the same thing. (laughs) It's not the first time he's told me this. Yeah, still in there. It's all right. It's all right. Layers, you know. So I see I still have this operating in me that I receive from you like pulling into a gas station. I get filled up and then I drive off until I reach empty again. But that's just not you, it's just not true about you. This gas station theology is a ruse. Wow, it's all coming into view. The strategic plan over an orphaned land where orphans grow up to raise like kind, creating a culture ruled and reigned by orphan perspective. Wow, an entire culture, an entire country, an entire world dominated by orphan mentality. I said, yeah, that sounds like a seed the enemy would want to plant. But Papa, I choose right now to glorify you, to sing your praise for all that we still don't even know about your ways. I honor you right now, Papa. So marvelous, wonderful, beautiful, radiant, shining light over every dark place, persistent, steady, strong. You are all of these and more. You are the faithful father, not as we know fathering, but as you originally planned. You are faithful and true to your own definition of you. A lesser king would only deliver what his people asked for, but you, you are faithful to bring what we truly need, even when we don't know how to ask for it. We would settle for a cup half full of your love and nurturing because it'd still be more than what we had. But you are faithful to bring the fullness of you. You are faithful to bring the truth. Oh, what would it be to know the true extent of your fathering? What would it be? And he showed me a picture at that point. He showed me a picture of an umbrella opened, but upside down, floating on water. What does it mean? I said, in cartoons, I've seen this become a vessel, like the upside down umbrella floating on the water becomes a boat to carry a character where he needs to be. So I'm pondering. I said, an umbrella is a type of covering we raise up over ourselves, right, to protect us from what we perceive to be an inconvenience falling down. We want to protect our hairdos and our outfits from getting wet, from what we'd call messed up. But what if we've got it all wrong? What if we've been upside down in how we see it all? What if we've been guarding ourselves from what you always intended to fall on us? The rain falling down forms the puddles on our land. I'm thinking through it naturally like working up the metaphor, right? And the analogy. It forms the puddles on our land, it soaks the ground and feeds the rivers and the seas. Now we call these rivers and seas sites that we'd like to see. We call them vacation destinations and dream of simply being in their presence. The picture shows our this picture shows our perceived covering floating upside down on these. What are you saying, Papa? What are you saying? So then he he brought my attention to the actual word umbrella. And he'll do this sometimes and have me break down the word. And so first I looked up the word umbrella and it says it originates from the Latin and which translates to basically meaning shadow or shade. But I just had that verse going through my head recently that said there's no shadow of turning in you. So I'm like, that's not can't be right then. The shadow. If there's no shadow of turning in you, then that must be. We must have something off. And so I looked. I thought, well, maybe umbrella. Maybe it's a play on words, and it'd be like an umbrella, like split it into an umbrella. So I thought, what's brella? Well, let's look up uh, what the word brella means. Now there's lots of possible definitions, but in terms of when these kind of things happen, you just follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. The very first one he brought me to was that the word brella in Iceland, in their language, means trick. So I was like, okay, so you're wanting to undo the trick, undo a trick that I've been living under, the trick that's been played, right? So I said, does the use of an umbrella to protect us from rain falling down speak of our desire to protect what we've fashioned on ourselves? The way we've fixed ourselves up, made ourselves to be presentable to others. We aim to protect how we've dressed ourselves up, calling what you're sending down a problem, something working against what we've accomplished. We aim to put a barrier between what you're sending down and what we've put on ourselves in our independence. The flip of that would be to throw down the covering that we hold in our own strength and allow it to ride, to float on the accumulation of what you're sending down. Right? The water. We relinquish our self-sustained covering and instead step into the covering you provide that rides on the waves of all you send down from above. Meaning, We trust in what you send down to us, even if at first glance it looks like it might mess us up. Even if it seems that it would work against what we see as accomplishment or progress. We trust in what you bring us in our lives instead of playing gatekeeper over what we let in or avoid. And Papa began to speak and he said, Daughter, son, Have you ever thought about how children love to play in the rain? Before they're taught that it's bad or a troublesome thing, they delight in standing exposed to the marvel of what's falling from the sky. They have the awe it's due. Falling from the sky, from a place they cannot see, they spread their arms wide to receive There's no illusion that it's a man-made solution. They know full well it comes from a power greater than themselves. It's a gift, and they spread their arms wide to receive it. They turn their face uncovered in its direction, giving way to the emotion it brings. Joy and delight rises up on the inside, and to it they fully surrender. Pure joy Pure delight, unhindered because of their surrender. Human reasoning has even found a way to see the value in this display. How many places now advertise splash pads for children's entertainment? Everything about it is seen as valuable, but sadly, the children are the only ones who play. Papa said, daughter, son, I'm inviting you to a new kind of surrender. I'm inviting you to the joy and delight of standing uncovered in the outpouring of my spirit. I am reigning on this land in a brand new way today. There is a rain falling that will not only transform hearts and minds, but become this land's ruling, reigning power. Choose today to delight in the rainfall Choose today to surrender to my refreshing, my response to your thirsting. Choose joy and delight instead of worry and fright. Your next steps can be your greatest. Step into childlike surrender. And I promise I'll take you on a weightless journey, riding the waves of my spirit. Oh, so good. Thank you, Papa. Thank you so much. Oh, so good. I could go into just gratefulness right now, but I've got to keep on. I got to keep going. There's more. So I began to just worship him and I found myself singing this little song to him, just saying, let your rain fall, fall on me, let your rain fall, fall on me, let your rain fall, fall on me, become my covering, be my covering. So I was soaking in that for a little bit, and I heard him say he wanted to sing along with my song. And he said, daughter, son, I will fall like rain on a summer day. I will fall like heroes always find their way. I will fall to wash the heartache all away. I will fall with fathering over you every day. So I said, let your rain fall. Fall on me. Let your rain fall. Fall on me. Be my covering. Be my covering. And he said, there's no place my spirit can't touch. There's no harm. My spirit won't repair. There's no fear. My spirit won't flood with love. There's nowhere you need to go but here. You can trust in all my ways. You can trust in every word I say. You can trust, I see everything. You can trust my faithful fathering. And I said, Let your rainfall fall on me. Let your rainfall fall on me. Be my covering. Be my covering. He said, I will fill every need you have with me. I will bring every part of my fathering. I will heal every wound you have. I will clear every cluttered path. You can trust in all my ways. You can trust in every word I say. You can trust I see it all. You can trust in my faithful heart. So good. And it was at that moment I heard a verse reference to a verse that not by might not by power but by my spirit not by might not by power but by my spirit and I realized at this point as much as as beautiful as that was and as how grateful as it was that he had already just poured out for us that there was more he wanted to say and a deeper picture that he wanted to connect us with and it that verse I looked up and found discovered it's found in Zechariah 4 So I decided to read the whole chapter. It's just 12 verses of Zechariah 4. And I discovered that it was a picture for exactly where I was when I was feeling hopeless and discouraged. The exact point that I was in, okay, the storyline that took place. And so I want to share it with you. and I want to paint the picture of where this happens in history for God's people, the Israelites. So at the time that this Zechariah 4 is a prophetic word that was given to the Israelites. Zechariah was a guy who lived then. And I'd, I've, I've read this book where it made it sound like he didn't even know he was a prophet until he started hearing these things. So it's kind of cool. So Zechariah lived in, in, in a time where the Israelites had been in captivity for, I think, 70 years. And so finally the their captor said, well, you can leave and go back to your land and you can rebuild your temple, and you can serve your God. So he traveled, Zechariah traveled with Ezra, and they went back with uh, Zerubbabel was the governor at that time, and Joshua was the high priest. Now, it wasn't officially a country, so he couldn't really be a king because it was still under the captor's territory, but he was governor, so he was from the kingly line. So he had Zerubbabel and Joshua. So they had been in captivity for 70 years. They go back. Their temple had been completely destroyed when they were invaded and and, uh, overcome. And it had been 70 years sitting desolate. So there were trees in the temple. There were weeds that had grown grown up, rocks everywhere. I mean, it was a, a pretty huge undertaking to be the first ones on the scene to begin to rebuild the temple. So if you recall what does it mean to be a temple? The temple is a a picture of us individually, because later, after Jesus comes, he says, I'll rebuild my temple, right? And he's, he's building the temple in each of us. We now make up the temple. So it's a metaphor. This physical temple is a metaphor for us and the rebuilding of our hearts and restoration of our hearts to be his temple. And so, They had the group of people had been there for about a year or so, and they had made some progress. They'd rebuilt the foundation of the temple and they rebuilt the basic altar. Okay, and been about a year, but over about that time, they a lot of opposition rose up a lot of political opposition, people threatening to kill them, people attacking them, people breaking partnership with them, um, all sorts of threats. So there was opposition. After making a little bit of progress of rebuilding the temple, can you connect your personal journey to that? You've entered this journey. You're starting to make some progress. You're believing in God's promise, but opposition is rising up and you're not feeling super hopeful, right? You're, su- you're feeling a little bit discouraged. And this is where I was in a sense when I started writing this word a couple days ago um, that I was thinking, well, this is just as good as it's going to get. I'll just call it good. My temple's built enough. I got the foundation, right? I got the altar. And that's what the Israelites did in this story. They stopped building. They got discouraged, and they're like, we don't want to go face head-on with this opposition anymore, so we'll just lay low, kind of lower the standard, say this is good enough. It's good enough. And they began to use the actual resources that God had provided for them, the wood, the silver, and the gold, Instead of rebuilding the temple with that, they just started making their house more comfortable, started making their homes more comfortable. Wow. And they got stuck in comparison. They started thinking when this discouragement came in that, you know what, this little foundation we've rebuilt doesn't compare to the original temple. Some of the people had been around when the temple was first built, and they're like, man, this we remember what that was like. And this is nothing like this is so small, so insignificant. It's that was discouraging. And that is what the discouragement and hopeless is an open door to cause you to look back and former seasons of your life and say, well, was that better? Is this actually better than that other season? And it will get you in that trap of rehearsing and going over other seasons of your life. Hopelessness, discouragement is an open door to start looking to your past and comparing. And if you're comparing, then you're starting to question where God's brought you, which means you're starting to question him. See where that leads. Doubt comes in, all of that. So they got stuck in their comparison, and um, they started despising their small beginnings, right? God tried to alert them and that they'd gotten off, and they ignored him, they ignored him, and then they began to experience a drought, like they had no rain for like a couple years, I think, a period of dryness. Have you ever had a period of dryness? It may be that you're in a dry season because you've gotten off in this way, okay? One thing leads to another, and so Eventually, though, the Israelites recognized the error of their ways because these prophetic people came forward and started speaking the word of God. And so Zechariah 4 is that place where he shared a prophetic word, and this was one of the words that made them turn away from their discouraged mindset. That's repentance, turning away from a mindset and begin to realign themselves with the mission to rebuild the temple. And so I'm going to read this to you and you'll, and hopefully you'll follow along and see the encouragement in us, in this. Think about, like I said, you're the temple, your journey of rebuilding. And so Zechariah 4 starts in the Amplified. It says, and the angel who was speaking came with me back, came with me, angel with me, came back and awakened me like a man who is awakened out of his sleep. How many people are awakened out of their sleep on this journey? That's what God's doing is he's waking people up. And sometimes we have to be woken up again in different areas of our lives. Like, hey, wake up. You've gotten off. Wake up. So like a man who is awakened out of his sleep. And if you could go ahead and put that first slide up, if you have it, Vinton. Um, He said to me, what do you see? I said, I see and behold a lampstand of all all of gold with its bowl for oil on the top of it and its seven lamps on it with seven spouts belonging to each of the lamps which are on top of it. And there were two olive trees by it, one on the right side of the bowl and the other on its left side, supplying it continuously with oil. So I asked the angel who was speaking with me, what are these, my Lord? Then the angel who was speaking with me answered and said, do you not know what these are? I said, no, my Lord, I don't. Then he said to me, this continuous supply of oil is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, the prince of Judah, saying, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, of whom the oil is a symbol, says the Lord of hosts. What are you, O great mountain of obstacles? Before Zerubbabel, who will rebuild the temple, you will become a plain, insignificant, And he will bring out the capstone of the new temple with loud shouts of grace, grace to it. Also the word of the Lord came to me saying, the hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundations of this house and his hands will finish it. Then you will know, recognize, and understand fully that the Lord of hosts has sent me as his messenger to you, who with reason, Who with reason despises the day of small things, small beginnings? For these seven eyes shall rejoice when they see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. They are the eyes of the Lord which roam throughout the earth. The footnote there says that the seven eyes reflect God's oversight of the world and its inhabitants and his pleasure in the construction of the temple. Did he not just give us a word about his oversight? Did we not just have this experience with him where he was saying, my oversight is so vast, it's more than you can imagine. That's fathering, that's oversight. And his pleasure is in the construction of the temple. Then I said to him, who was speaking with me, what are these two olive trees on the right side of the lampstand and on its left? And a second time I said to him, what are these two olive branches which are beside me? Beside the two golden pipes, which the golden oil is emptied. And he said to me, do you not know what these are? And I said, no, my Lord. See, it's a process. It's just a conversation. I don't know what these are. You didn't answer me the first time. Let me ask you again. And when you ask me if I know, nope, I just don't know. So you have to tell me. Then he said, these are the two sons of fresh oil, Joshua, the high priest, and Zerubbabel, the prince of Judah, who are standing by the Lord of the whole earth as his anointed ones. So let's start with the olive tree, the two olive trees. As I said, the word says that that's Joshua and Zerubbabel. Joshua was the high priest. Zerubbabel was the prince or the king of the kingly line. Who did we, I just mentioned it last week. Jesus came to be the, the high priest And the king for us. He is the king priest. So Jesus Christ became both roles for us. And so the olive trees are a picture of Jesus Christ standing on either side of this bowl that is filled with the oil, filled with the oil of the Holy Spirit that supplies the lampstand in this picture. The lampstand, you know, is. Obviously, something that puts off light. It's a representative of what we, the people, are supposed to be. We put off light into the world. We're supposed to be burning that oil, right? So where does the oil come from? Well, the oil comes from from through the trees into the bowl, and there's an abundance of oil, right? It's a continuous supply is what the word said. It was a continuous supply of oil, supplying it continuously with oil, So I'm going to read now what I heard the Holy Spirit say, okay? And maybe halfway through, Vinton, if you, you can just, here in a minute, you can put up that next slide in about a minute, okay? I see now, Papa, that when we relinquish our hold on the umbrella over our own heads and accept your covering, the flipped umbrella, right? The flipped umbrella becomes the bowl that holds the abundant supply of your oil, your spirit that will supply us with all we need to rebuild our personal temple and be the light of the world around us that you intend for us to be. This invitation to a new level of surrender to your covering, your fathering, reestablishes the hearts of those who've been on this temple rebuilding journey with you, but have grown weary with opposition. You are declaring over us now that the opposition we see and experience is no mountain in your eyes. Remember, he said that in the word, this mountain of opposition is nothing and it will become a plane on the, on this landscape. The mountain of opposition that we are experiencing on our journey is nothing in your eyes, but it will in fact become an insignificant plane on the landscape of our temple. When we begin, because discouragement has come in, to compare our present with our past, wondering if it's better, you remind us that Jesus, the capstone, speaks the loudest from our past and is the only one worthy to look at in the past. This was a new way of seeing this for me because looking back at the past is something I think my personality is has a bent towards, but it's a place where the enemy tries to torment me a lot, looking back, trying to change things you can't even change anymore, right? And so the only thing in our past that is relevant to be looking at right now is what Jesus already did for us. He is the capstone who in this word for Zerubbabel and the rebuilding of the temple speaks grace, grace, grace. Grace is the supernatural ability to do what we're trying to do. So the only thing relevant to look at in our past is Jesus and what Jesus has already done for us. Should we find ourselves feeling discouraged by our seemingly small amount of progress, especially in the face of opposition? Do you guys find yourselves there? You're like, "Man, I'm just not I'm not even good at this. I don't even know how to pray." You know, I shouldn't even be talking in that microphone. I shouldn't even be saying blah, blah, blah about myself because, I mean, it just comes. It doesn't matter who you are. It comes where the enemy will try to downplay who you are and what you're already walking in. So if we find ourselves feeling discouraged by our seemingly small amount of progress, especially in the face of opposition, we are reminded in the scripture that we should not despise small beginnings because you rejoice when you see us yielding to the rebuilding process. That's what it said in the verse. You rejoice when you see the tools in the hands of Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel was the one overseeing the rebuilding, but Jesus is the one overseeing our rebuilding. So he's saying that Papa God rejoices when he sees the tools in Jesus' hands active in us when we are yielding to the rebuilding process. He rejoices in that process. So making God happy is no small thing. It doesn't matter if you have a, a, what looks like a small beginning. It is no small thing to thrill and delight this heavenly father of ours. That is the definition of success in my book. That's the def- I've, I've arrived, to, I've succeeded because I'm pleasing the father. That's our definition. So we are reminded that you truly are watching over us. And the entire process, and it brings you great delight. There is no end to your oversight of us. This brings us back to what we started with in this this encounter, was being in awe of his fathering and how extensive it is. There is no end to your oversight of us, your fathering of us, and you take great delight in the construction process. We are reminded that Jesus is both King and High Priest, standing as the olive trees on either side of us making way for the flow of the Holy Spirit to continuously fill the bowl, which is our true covering. The true covering over us is when we take our own covering and turn it upside down and say, you can have it, you can do it. It becomes the bowl that holds the collection, the abundant collection of his spirit, the oil of his spirit. And from there, we have everything we need to do all that we've been called to do. We are covered by the ample supply of your spirit at all times and are invited to lay down our own strength, our own might to partner with your spirit, which accomplishes all things. I love the way the Holy Spirit speaks. He knows just what we need, and I think he love he loves the words. Some people, you know, learn by hearing. Some people learn or are visual learners. Some people learn by, you know, put hands on. Uh, and we we have the opportunity to do all of that. And so I love when he gives and speaks through these analogies and pictures because I personally drew my own little version of this on a little note for myself and put it up in my room because I want to be reminded in those moments where I'm tempted to I want to pull up my own umbrella, I'm going to lay it down. I'm going to lay it down and let what's coming come. You know, that's the same thing connects to our word of the year about the surface tension is coming to actually pull us into that 120. It's the same thing. The rain coming down that we may call an inconvenience or a problem may just be the thing that he is anointing you with to do what he's actually called you to do. And so I just pray that we will all learn to dance like children in the rain that comes down, Papa. I pray that we will that we will be in awe of the rain and of your outpouring just like little children are. What that we see on the splash pads or out in the in the backyard that we would just be in awe of your outpouring just like them. I pray that we would each have an opportunity in the coming days to take the next steps. You said these next steps could be our greatest We just say today that we partner a belief with you that the next steps, not an exception, there's no exceptions for anybody in the room or anybody hearing this, but our next steps could be the opportunity he's providing for us to step into a greater measure of anointing, a greater level of supernatural ability of grace to do exactly what our hearts desire to do with you, Papa. So we will not despise small beginnings. We will not despise small opportunities coming in the days ahead. We will not despise them, but we will partner with what you're doing to bring you great delight by our yielding to your covering and to your rebuilding process. I just thank you, Papa. I want to pray over each person. I believe it's in Philippians, no... um, Yeah, Philippians 1 6, I pray with great faith over you because I'm fully convinced the one who began this gracious work in you will faithfully continue the process of maturing you until the unveiling of our Lord Jesus Christ. So, Papa, we thank you for your word. We thank you that that right there is a promise that we can cling to that we may have had redacted in our own hearts and minds. We may have forgotten that that word was written thousands and thousands of years ago in the Bible for us to cling to. But I thank you that you're coming to wash away the black lines that have covered up your promises. And so I release this today as a word of promise over your people that can bring hope and encouragement to their walk. And we just thank you, Papa, for the way you love us, for the way you nurture us and guide us and parent us and the way you rebuild our temple. We love you. We love you. We love you. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from One Life OK. For more information, please visit us at onelifeok.com.